We're going to be looking at page 121 in your notebooks in this final lesson. It is always said that the best kind of advertisement for anything is word of mouth. And my experience is that that's true, and I think you would probably agree with that. If you have a business and people talk up your business, then that's a good thing for you. And it's cost-effective as well. It doesn't cost you anything for people to talk positively about your, about your business. Uh, you can spend a lot of money on other means of advertising, perhaps not get anything out of those, but people who have used your product or service and they tell other people word of mouth how good it is is a great form of advertising for, for a business. So if you've got a restaurant and people love the food and they tell other people about it, that's great for that uh, restaurant. If you listen to a CD and you like the CD and you tell somebody else about it, that's great for that uh, artist. If you saw a TV show or a movie and give uh, people the recommendation, that's all great. But there are certain things that you might recommend by word of mouth that are, not, uh, that are not just places to go or things to listen to or something to view, but they are things that have been done to you. You know, that you're giving testimony or word of mouth about. And so, take a doctor. You know, if I recommend a doctor, and in the case of a case of a broken wrist, if I say, this doctor is terrific, you ought to go see this person, but six months after you saw them, you're... Your wrist is still a mess. That's not a great recommendation, is it? I mean, you may say, "I like the person. I like their, you know, I like their office. I like their staff. He or she was a really nice person." But the truth is, the effect that their service had on you is not very good, and it's evident that it's not very good because you're not different for having been there. You're not healed. You're not fixed. So word of mouth is the best form of advertising, but sometimes it's not just the words of your mouth, it's the effect that the person or thing has had on you. And if that is not consistent with the recommendation being made, then anyone in their right mind is not going to take it. A doctor? How about a church? You know, you ought to come to, you ought to, come to our church. Our church is really cool. We have, we have bagels. And uh, we have some really nice folks and, uh, and so on. And hopefully you'll learn the Bible there and that kind of thing. You ought to come to our church. But if you're making that recommendation, word of mouth, but there's nothing different about you. As a matter of fact, you're just, if you're just like the people at work who don't, go to church who don't know Christ, perhaps, and there's no difference in you, then that word of mouth is not helpful, is it? I had a fellow with whom I worked back several years ago when I was in, uh, had to work for a living. Now I just do this one day a week gig for the uh, church. But back when I worked in the computer field, uh, I was working at a place in Ann Arbor, and the first day I'm there... Uh, I'm in a kind of cubicle area with four of us. And so when someone was on the phone, if they were talking with any volume at all, you could, you could hear them. Well, this particular guy talked with a lot of volume anyway, so everybody could hear him. And he was going on and uh, he was uh, arguing with somebody on the phone. And then a little bit later, I heard him arguing with a coworker. And over a period of time, over about a week, I got the impression nobody liked this guy. 
And I'm thinking to myself, and I really did think to myself, it's going to be just my providence, I didn't say luck, but just my providence, that this guy is going to be a Christian that nobody likes. Well, I hear him talking on the phone some days later, and he's talking all of this pious stuff. He's talking about praying for the prayer list, and brother, I'll, you know, I'll be thinking about you and praying for you and so on. After I've heard him for a week, argue with everybody. Nobody likes him, right? And sure enough, I find out that not only is he a professing Christian, he's a Baptist. You know, and I've, in this little area I'm in, there's only four of us. So two of us are Baptists, and one of us is him. And I'm thinking, I'm shot. You know, when I go to this place, one of my objectives is to try to be a witness for Christ. But this guy was here before I got there. And he has already messed things up for me. Because his word of mouth is no good, is it? And now when I give word of mouth, immediately people are going to make this association between the two of us. One of the things I had to do was distance myself from that guy personally. So when he found out that I was a Baptist and um, studying for ministry, he wanted to cozy up with me. And I didn't want to cozy up with him because I don't want to be associated with that testimony. And I didn't. Thankfully, a few months later, he found another job and left. But I still had damage control to do because of what he had done by his inconsistent word of mouth and life and attitude, right? So word of mouth is great advertising, but it's only great advertising if, in fact, the entity that you are talking about is one where it should have a, a positive effect on you, and that positive effect is, is evident. If you're talking about a doctor or a church or something like that, then the change must be evident. And if not, do me a favor. Don't tell anybody that you go to Community Baptist Church. Right? We'd all be better off, wouldn't we? But it's worse than that. Not only is it a bad reflection on the, on the organization, the doctor or the church, but let's take the church and take it a step further. That lack of a transformed, different life in front of the people to whom you've been called to minister has not only a bad reflection on the church, but it's more important than that, right? It has a bad reflection on the Lord of the church. It's a bad reflection on Jesus. It's a bad reflection upon Christ. And so, that's why Jesus told his first followers when he sent them out on the mission to which he had commissioned them, he told them, you are going to be in the world. But while you are in the world, you all remember what he said. You're not to be of the world. You're to be different. You're to be transformed so that you can have an effect, a positive effect on those that I have called you to go and give, yes, word of mouth witness, but also life-transforming witness as well. Now, where did Jesus say that? In John 17, in your Bible. And if you want to turn there, please do. If not, I'll just read it for you. But John 17, Jesus is praying 
to the Father the night before he is crucified. And so he has done everything up to this hour, and the hour has now come. And he's praying to the Father in this long 23 verses worth prayer in John 17. And in the midst of that prayer, Jesus says to the Father, verse 10, All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, verse 11, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. So, in this final hour before Jesus is going to be crucified, he prays for his first followers, and he says to the Father, I'm coming back to you, but I'm leaving them here. I'm leaving them in the world. And then he goes on to say, not only are they going to be in the world, but verse 14, as he continues to pray, I have given them, Father, your word, and the world has hated them. Here's why. They are not of the world any more than I am of the world. That's where we get that notion that you are in the world, but not of it. Now, when we say... We're in the world. It is that preposition in is being used, as you would expect, physically located in the world. Jesus is physically departing the world. He's spiritually going to remain present through the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, he has said in prior chapters, but physically he's departing. Physically, you're going to remain here. This is going to be your place in the world, location. So, they and we are located for the mission that Jesus has given us in the world. But then he goes on to say in his prayer to the Father, they're in it, they're here, they're located in the midst of it, but they're not of it. So in has to do with location, and of the world, not of the world, has to do with values, has to do with source of values, has to do with priorities. They're not of the world in that the source of their values and their resulting priority scheme is going to be radically different than that of the world. In it physically, but not of it in terms of the derivation, the source of their values, what makes them tick, and their resulting priorities. And then Jesus calls us then to go out into into the world, but to be people who are not of it. People who are transformed. People who are different. So you take a course on relationships. And you get to the end of the course. Here's what you here's what I hope and pray and here's what Jesus wants that it makes a difference. The reason we do this is not just so that we can fill the 45 minutes until we pick up our kids while they're learning stuff. The reason we do this is so that What we see from the Word of God will be implemented in your life and my life so that transformation, change, takes place. So that now I can evidence, I can show that I'm, yes, in the world, but I'm not of it. I'm different. I don't have the same value system and priority scheme that those who don't know Christ have. And it will be evident in my relationship. It'll be evident in my relationships at home. 
And it worked. So when I'm at the water cooler and everybody is complaining and everybody is goofing off and everybody's pursuing their value system, you're pursuing something different. That's what Jesus calls to in, not up. Now, I have given to you in various forms over the years the four possible combinations of in and of. So if you've heard these, forgive me. If you heard them, you probably forgot them, and if you haven't, here they are. But there are four possible ways for being physically in the world but not being having a value system of the world can be related. And here they are. First, you can be both in the world and of the world. Right? You can be both. Who's that? Who's both in and of? Well, that's your typical pagan. That's your typical worldling. I'm in, this is my locale, and my value system and my priorities all are of the world system. The cosmos is the Greek word. So I'm a worldling. I'm a pagan. I haven't come to Christ. There's been no transformation. There's no surprise at that. I don't make any pretense about that. I'm not a Christian. I'm in it and I'm of it. Or here's the second one. You can be not in it and not of it. You say, how can you be not in it? Well, you can attempt to withdraw from it. And people have done that throughout history, right? So you could be a monk. I'm going to withdraw physically from the world. So I'm going to have a monastic lifestyle. Or I'm going to be Amish. Not in. That's the attempt. That's the whole idea, isn't it? To not be of the world means for them, I also need to be out of the world. And so isolate myself that I'm not in it, which is disobedient to what Jesus said. I'm leaving you in the world on purpose. So you can be not in and not of. Got a different value system, presumably. Different priority scheme. But I've isolated myself. Or you can be not in the world but still of the world. Not in and of. Again, you withdraw yourself in a sense, but your value system is like that of the world. Who's that? You know, the first set, in and of, is the typical worldling pagan. The second set, not in and not of, is your monk and your Amish person. But what about the person who's not in but of? This is, I'm afraid to say, your typical worldly church today. Not in, in the sense that we have our own stuff. You know, we got our own, we got our own stuff, our own gatherings. But all of our stuff looks like your stuff. All of our stuff has the same values your stuff has. We just sprinkled Jesus in it. So we've got Christian worldly stuff. But we are happy with it because we're not in. It's our stuff. It's Jesus' stuff. You got talk shows, we got talk shows. You got American Idol, we got our own versions. Anything you can do, we can do with Jesus on top. Not in. Our own versions, parallel. But the values undergirding it are all the same. Celebrity, fame money, 
all the junk of the world. You can see it in churches all over the place. You can see it in professing Christians all over the place. Not in, but of. And then the fourth one, which would be really cool, would be to be in and not of. Because that's the only right one of the four, isn't it? That's the one Jesus says you're supposed to be about. Here, in it, in the midst of it, but marching to the beat of a different drummer, having been transformed in your perspective and value system. Now, why does it matter? Well, because word of mouth matters. Presentation of life matters. And it reflects upon the one that you're supposedly representing. And if there's no, then, transformation of life, then it's a bad reflection, not only on his organization called the church, but on the Lord of that church. People are, we are to be people that are in the world, but transformed such that we're not of the world. And that transformation is to be appealing, and it is to be helpful to folks. Now, why do I say that? Page 121 of your notes. Notice salt and light. Salt and light from Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is preaching the most well-known and greatest sermon ever spoken. It is called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the entirety of Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And in the midst of that sermon of Jesus, in Matthew 5, which is, as you read through it, and if you haven't in a while, I would encourage you to do so, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. As you read through it, you find this radically different priority scheme. Radically different approach to life. Transformed values. Transformed priorities. And this is what Jesus is giving. This is how my people and my followers live. They live differently. And it's a call to radical discipleship. To the root, to the core of our value system. That's what radical means. Following of Jesus. And in the middle of that, verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. He says as well, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And so, friends, this final challenge for us in this final lesson is this. What kind of representation do my relationships, as, as a result of my transformed life, what kind of representation are those relationships to those that I'm called to serve? What kind of representation do my relationships have? to those that I'm called to minister to and be light and salt to. And Jesus says, you're to be salt and light. Let's talk about then what that means. Page 121. Salt is, you see in the questions there in the middle of the page, a preserving element, but also at the bottom, the last question, salt is a flavoring element. First, a, a preserving element. Salt preserves and the only way that you and I, as the salt of the earth, can serve 
productively as that salt, as that preserving element, is if we are in close contact with the people who need that salt. So it means, among other things, that we've got to be in close contact. So the whole Amish monastic approach is out the window. Not in the world. I've got to be in the world. Because I'm supposed to be salt to the world, and I can't have this preserving effect if I'm not in close contact. It means that you and I have to come outside then of our comfort zones to be with people who have a different value system in order to have a positive effect on those people. That's what Jesus is saying. You have to be in close contact. It means that you've got to have to be in the midst of broken and messed up people. You say, and I say too, I'd rather go to the Adult Christmas Fellowship tonight. And we're all pretty messed up too, but we're sort of messed up in the same ways. And we kind of know how to mask our messiness. And I'm more comfortable with your mess than I am the world's mess. So I want to choose my messed up people. But Jesus says, you're in the world. And I put you, I sovereignly put you in these relationships with broken people calling you into the world to be in it and not of it. And so in order to have that preserving element, we've got to be in close contact. And then we have to have a flavoring element as well as salt, which means if it's going to have flavor, it's going to, the idea is we're going to have to demonstrate good, different, appealing character. In close contact with people, but not just in close contact, but demonstrate good character, a flavorful character to those that are around us. So, as we demonstrate the character of Christ, that is to show a difference, a flavorful difference, and an obvious difference to those that he has called us to minister to. So characteristics like humility and compassion and how we say what we say and the attitude with which we say it are all part of the flavoring of the salt that we're to be. And so if you look on page 122, top of page 122, what ministry opportunities exist for you with the people God has put in your path? A family struggling in the neighborhood? Single parent at your child's school? Someone in your church lonely and discouraged? A teenager that needs to see how a real family functions? Relationships you can pursue with your child's extracurricular activities? Has God put an elderly person in your life? And the list goes on and on. Broken people, I'm in close contact with them in order to act as salt with them, showing godly, good, appealing character in the context of those relationships. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. But then he also says, not just that, but that you are the light of the world, page 122. And if as salt, our character and presence in the world helps keep away decay, what aspect of light do we represent for the world? So it's kind of a, kind of a, a tortured question, the way it's worded. But the idea is salt preserves, keeps from decay. All right, good enough. But Jesus has not just called us to keep things from decaying. He wants us to actually now shed light and move things in the right direction is the idea. 
Well, how can we function as light to not only keep things from decaying in our capacity of salt, but as light represent Christ to the world? And here's how. As light, we are to expose truth and God and His arrangement, His world, to people. Light exposes. And as light, we are to expose the people with whom we are in close contact. And having this preserving and flavorful effect, we are to expose them to God and His truth and His arrangement as opposed to the world's arrangement. Shedding light on what's otherwise dark. You are the light of the world. So we reveal, we expose the folks we're in contact with to truth and to God. You know, you do that through the everyday stuff of life, but you do it intentionally. So you're in close contact with people, and they see, if you have children, how you rear your children. And they see how you do that according to the light that God has given, according to the principles of the Word of God. And what he says about himself and the fact that children are an heritage from the Lord, an inheritance from the Lord, they're a gift from God. And so we prize those children as not our possession, but as God's possession. And it has a transforming effect in the way we go about our parenting. And so I'm with folks, folks who are struggling in their broken relationships, but they're seeing in my relationships, in my marriage, and in my parenting, and in my business... And in the way I conduct myself in my neighborhood, they're being exposed to the effect that God's truth about all of these things has in that particular relationship. You, your kids, like being with you. How did you manage that? Believe me, that has an effect on people in the world. Your kid is okay at 14 to be seen in public with you? How did that happen? And I, can, and I can tell you, there are parents all over the place who would give their right arm to say, I would love for my teenager to want to spend some time with me. Tell me about that. And you expose them to what God says about these children and how He has given instruction for how we treat these children and how we pursue our relationship with them. What about you and your husband? You and your wife? You guys actually seem to love each other. You're really committed to each other. You don't have the wandering eye in the office that everybody else has. When everybody else is doing the dirty joke stuff and oogling the, the gal that's going down the hall, you're not doing that. What's, what's up with that? Right? We expose God and His truth and His arrangement as opposed to the cosmos arrangement, the world arrangements. And then secondly, if salt, bottom of page 122, involves stepping out into the world, what does being light involve? It has an, here's what it has, it has an attention-getting quality. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, that worldlings are just going to fall, you know, fall on their knees and repent before Jesus because they see great things in you. 
You know, Christians get persecuted for being Christians. That might be what might be what happens. But God is also pleased to use the same process of showing a radical difference between His people and those who are not His people. He is pleased to use that process to bring some to Himself. And He has called us to be part of that process. Salt and light. Attention getting. And so it involves welcoming people in so that they can see the radical difference that Jesus has made. And we welcome people in so that they can see the impact of Christ in our relationships. Our relationships are meant to be beacons, lighthouses, in a dark world. So what should people see? Page 123. In our relationships, things like humility, patience, forgiveness, service, compassion, So if I'm going to be salt and light to people that God has called me to be with, who need what I have received from Christ, then it is much more effective to take an approach that says, I'm still struggling, but Jesus has made a radical difference. Instead of, and I've got it together, and I'm here to straighten you out. And we've all known Christians who take that sort of approach as well. It's not, I've arrived, but you need grace, but it is, the grace of God has made a difference in my life, is making a difference in my life. And I'd love to participate in the difference He's continuing to make in my life. And I'm inviting you now to be a part of that as well. So, they ask on page 123, what opportunities do you have to invite others into the life? your child have a friend who could benefit from time at your house, a co-worker for dinner, movie with your friends, elderly person who would enjoy the love of a family during the holidays, and so on. Our final moments. It means then to be transparent. Down at the bottom of that paragraph, second paragraph under being transparent, Ephesians 5.11, Paul calls us to expose the deeds of darkness. And the word for exposing does not mean point the finger and judge. It means we persuade people the gospel is true because our lives are a compelling testimony to the God who has come for sinners. What a beautiful thing. But too often the lives of Christians aren't different and they're not compelling. And Christ is calling us to different and compelling, salt and light, being transparent, and being a worshiper. You all remember that one of the questions I've asked, I asked back several weeks ago at the beginning of one of our lessons was, you're going to have to answer this question, who am I going to worship in this relationship? You all remember that? My final question in this final lesson, and we're done, is this. I've had a question for you to answer every week. And this is the one that we're seeking to answer in this lesson. What's at stake? Why is it so important? You see, the way I behave in my relationships is so important, not just for me. Not just so that it goes better for me. Not just for my kids or my spouse or my coworkers. What's at stake? Why is it so important? It's not just for me. It is for the sake of Christ. It is for the sake of His testimony. And if you're a believer, you care about that. That resonates with you. 
you say, I don't want to do anything, I don't want to be anything that would hinder in any way the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so as much, Paul said in Romans 12, as much as it depends on you, I'll live peaceably with all men. I will try to show Christ-like character in all of the relationships into which he has called me. Not just so I'll have tranquility, but so that it will be a positive reflection, word of mouth, and life-transforming testimony to the superiority of Jesus Christ. That's what's at stake. And so, brothers and sisters, I ask you, will you do that? Because that's what's at stake. It's for Christ's sake. Will you implement, not just listen to, as we've done now for these 11 weeks, but will you implement what we have seen in your relationships? It may mean going back and listening because you blew off the first 10 weeks. But you go back and listen, and that's why we preserve them on the Internet. We've got a notebook. And for Christ's sake, I ask you to implement what he has taught us and what he has told us for his testimony in our relationships. Let's bow. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our Savior, for saving us and delivering us and rescuing us from ourselves and from our sin and from the world arrangement. Thank you for rescuing us and delivering us from the wrath, the anger of God because of our sin. Thank you for taking the punishment that belonged to us on the cross. And thank you for the transforming effect that that has so that we now march to the beat of a different drummer. We're going in a different direction. We want to follow you and not our own worldly desires. And Lord, we ask you to continue to make a radical difference in our hearts and thus in our words and our attitudes and our actions. And may it be visible to those that you have called us to be with for your ministry, for your mission. You have called us to be co-laborers with you in this mission of reaching others. In order to do that, we must be salt and light. And that requires that we be a visible, transforming person in these circumstances that you have sovereignly placed us in. Help us then to go this week and to think about what we've learned over these 11 weeks. And help us, if we have not, to begin to implement them. If we need to go back and listen again, for Christ's sake, Lord, help us to have the motivation to do that, to honor and to glorify you in our individual lives and in our relationships. May you be pleased to draw folks to yourself through the participation that you called us to, being salt and light in your world. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.